This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. This is the second part of a two-part episode. If you've not yet listened to episode 273, you'll want to start there. This week, I'll wrap up the strange and bizarre love story of Daniel and Manuela Ruda. These two can be called a match made in hell, and they were proud of it. Both very unique individuals in their own right. They found each other and pledged their love and fidelity to one another, and to Satan. They also shared a common goal. They believed they could be transformed into real-life vampires if they did Satan's bidding. If they were successful in this pursuit, Satan would transform them into undead creatures who would be reanimated by drinking the blood of the living. The first part of their pledge, to be wed on June 6th, 6-6, in honor of their Dark Lord, was completed in the year 2001. But they had a problem. They were missing a six to complete Satan's symbolic number of 666. They came upon a solution. They would offer him a human sacrifice on July 6th thus completing the last digit of the unholy number. So on July 6, 2001, Daniel lured a co-worker, Frank Hackert, to their apartment. This is where we left off in the story last week. We'll conclude this week with part two in the series, Love Monsters, the strange and deadly love story of Daniel and Manuela Ruda. Daniel Ruda invited his co-worker Frank Hackert to the apartment he shared with Manuela. Hackert, or Hacky, as the couple called him, was a 33-year-old fun-loving and friendly guy. He had befriended Daniel even though most of Daniel's work colleagues at the auto parts store thought the 26-year-old who showed up to his job every day, clad in all black, with satanic symbols tattooed on his body was, well, a bit weird to say the least. While Daniel's life still maintained some normalcy, heading out to work each day, communing among the living. Once he got home, it was a different scene. He and Manuela spent the majority of their time performing rituals in honor of Satan. They spent the rest of their time planning how they could be transformed into vampires. Manuela was already practicing for this, something she was completely convinced would happen by remaining indoors during daylight hours and attempting to never step outside while the sun was shining. Even so, during the daytime, she would lie in a coffin the couple had purchased and placed inside their apartment, just to be completely safe from the sun. But playing at being vampires wasn't good enough for the Rudas. They were convinced they were supposed to be vampires, and decided the only way to accomplish this was to do something so evil that Satan would take notice and reward them for their devotion. They determined their best bet towards this goal was to perform a human sacrifice. Most unfortunately for Daniel's friendly co-worker, Frank Hackert, he was selected as the victim. Manuela would later say that Hacky was so funny that they thought he would be the perfect court jester for Satan.
On the evening of July 6, 2001, Frank Hackard arrived at the Ruda's apartment for the promised party. Except he was the only one in attendance. Of course, he thought this odd, but Daniel told him the others who had been invited were running late. Daniel played music and Manuela poured a drink for their guest. They all sat in the living room and chatted for a few minutes. Okay, I just have to stop here for a moment. We've heard reports of what the couple's apartment looked like. There was a coffin somewhere on the premises, so that's already weird. Also, I assume it was pretty dark in there, considering Manuela's aversion to sunlight. At the very least, they had blackout curtains, candles instead of lamps, etc. And finally, we know they had a collection of skulls. Some real, some fake, strewn around the apartment. Okay, that last one, maybe I shouldn't judge too much. I have a lot of depictions of skulls in my own place, too. Mostly colorful paintings, though, and decor items. And none of them are real. But I digress. My point is, Frank Hackert was a pretty good sport, to say the least, to, number one, accept the invitation in the first place, and number two, stick around even for one drink. Poor thing. After a few minutes spent putting their unsuspecting victim at ease, it was time to strike. Manuela said she knew the moment Daniel decided to put their plan into action. It was when her husband suddenly stood up and looked at her. She said his eyes turned dark, and she saw evil emanating from them. She moved away from Hackard, who was still seated. Daniel came up from behind and struck him over the head with a hammer. He continued to strike the man until he fell and stopped moving. Manuela, excited that it was finally happening, urged Daniel on. Stab him in the heart, she screamed. Daniel pulled out a knife later described as a scalpel that he may have purchased just for this purpose and began stabbing Hackard. Other accounts say that Manuela did the stabbing but as there were multiple bloody knives found later at the crime scene, it's most likely they both played a part in this gruesome ritual. It's also likely that they were both involved due to the number of times the victim was stabbed. Again, they chose a specific number to honor Satan. Frank Hackert was stabbed 66 times. The violent frenzy didn't end immediately with Hackert's murder. The Rudos mutilated the corpse, with Daniel later stating that he'd wanted to recreate the metal band Cannibal Corpse's album cover titled Hammer Smashed Face. He also claimed that while he was doing this, he heard the voice of the devil urging him on. They burned the body with cigarettes and carved a pentagram into Hackard's skin. They drained what blood was left from the body by cutting open a vein and pouring it into bowls which they drank from. They then prayed to Satan and waited to be transformed into vampires. When it didn't happen immediately, they didn't know what to do next, but they were very aware that there was a dead body in their now blood-soaked apartment. They decided to flee. Perhaps they thought they weren't yet vampires because one sacrifice wasn't enough to prove their loyalty. Now they created a list of 15 other intended victims, and on this list they had written, Rejoice, you will be next. They packed up a few things and left town. Unfortunately, they forgot the list. They would have to wing it. Some reports of the Ruda's actions following the murder say they panicked and fled, but that doesn't appear to be the case. 
It seems more likely that they were intent on committing more murders. They planned where they'd go next, first traveling to a place infamous for a murder attributed to Satanists. Sonderhausen was the birthplace of Hendrik Mobus. Mobus was the founder of the death metal band Absurd. He, along with two other members of his band, murdered a 15-year-old classmate named Sandro Bayer in 1993. The case became known in the press as the case of Satan's children. The murder was portrayed as a satanic ritual killing, despite the fact that no ritual had been performed. The mere fact that the band was classified as a National Socialist Black Metal Band and that their music contained lyrics with references to pro-Nazi sentiments and pagan themes spurred on the narrative told in the press regarding the motivation for the teen's murder. Bayer was a local youth and classmate of the band members who simply tried to hang out with them. When they had no use for him and sent him packing, Bayer allegedly began publicly criticizing them. The final straw for Hendrik Mobus happened upon hearing a rumor that Bayer meant to spill the beans about an affair one of the band members was having with a classmate's mother. With the help of Mobus's girlfriend, they lured Bayer to a cabin in the woods. They tied the boy to a chair, strangled him with an electric cord, and Mobus stabbed him to death. They buried his body at a construction site. The three teens were tried and convicted of the murder, with Mobus receiving eight years in prison. But since he was under 18 years old at the time of the crime, Mobus was released on parole in 1998. However, his parole was revoked when he performed a Hitler salute at a concert, an act that is illegal in Germany. He briefly fled to the U.S., but was captured by U.S. Marshals in 2001. He was returned to Germany to serve his prison sentence. He's since been released and runs a music label that distributes National Socialist Black Metal music. After fleeing Witten, Daniel and Manuela made a pilgrimage to the place where Sandro Bayer was murdered and visited the cemetery where he was buried. The murdered boy's mother's name was also on the kill list left behind by the Rudas. While on the run, Manuela posted a letter to her mother. After receiving it, she became concerned. Quote, I am not of this world. I must liberate my soul from the mortal flesh, Manuela had written. Believing it to be a suicide note, her mother contacted the authorities to do a welfare check on her daughter. It had been a few days since the murder when police knocked on the Ruda's door. After getting no answer, they entered the apartment and discovered a horror scene. The first thing that drew their attention in the dark apartment was the streaks of dried blood splattered on the walls. A casket lay in the living room, and the smell of decomposure was strong. Under a banner displaying the words, When Satan Lives, was the mutilated body of Frank Hackert. A scalpel still protruded from his chest, and his face was rendered unrecognizable by hammer and machete blows. Police found the left-behind kill list nearby, as well as writings and other evidence that made it clear the Rudas were the perpetrators of this horrendous crime. Law enforcement agencies were told to be on the lookout for the couple. It was feared that they had gone on a planned killing spree, and police wanted them apprehended as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. You can support the show by becoming a Patreon member. For as little as $2 per month, 
you can get all new episodes of Once Upon a Crime ad-free and hear them before anyone else. Patrons are OUAC superfans, and we show our appreciation for your support by giving you bonus episodes you can't hear anywhere else, as well as exclusive OUAC merchandise sent to you as a thank you. To find out more and join, go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. There's also a link on our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Thank you so much. The Rudas were discovered a week after the murder in Jena, a town in eastern Germany. The couple had been disappointed in their quest to become vampires. But the story of their crime and the subsequent media coverage of it would make them front-page news nevertheless. Daniel Ruda remained tight-lipped at first, but Manuela couldn't wait to share her story with outsiders. She was positively giddy when relating the details of the crime and her love for Satan and all things vampire-related. When first questioned, Daniel said he didn't remember anything. But after he witnessed his wife sharing details of their crime proudly, he followed suit. Before long, the press began portraying the Rudas as evil personified. They described them as Satan worshippers and cult ritual killers. But the Rudas weren't members of any type of cult. The two of them alone had planned, plotted, and carried out the murder of Frank Hackert. Nor did they belong to any satanic group, and any rituals they performed were of their own creation. 2001, when this murder occurred, was a few years past the era of satanic panic, a phenomenon that had occurred beginning in the 1980s and into the mid-1990s, when crimes committed by teens or young adults who were fans of metal music or dabbled in alternative beliefs or practices like occultism were automatically attributed to Satanists or portrayed as ritualistic murder. In reality, this was rarely, if ever, the case. But the more conservative members of the German public in the early 2000s had grown fearful of the rise of goth culture by German teens and young adults and the popularity of black metal music. They were also alarmed by a vocal minority of these youth who had adopted pro-Nazi views and displayed Nazi and satanic symbols on their clothing and tattooed on their bodies. So Daniel and Manuela Ruda's random act of violence was taken as a sign that Satanists had a firm foothold right in their backyard. The press had a field day reporting on this bizarre couple who identified as vampires and admitted to devil worship. The more their notoriety grew, the more the Rudas ate it up, enjoying their 15 minutes of fame. They openly admitted to their crime, confessing to the murder and recounting the details in court. However, a trial was held, because their outrageous behavior caused the court to wonder whether the couple was mentally fit to be held responsible for their crime. Testimony would be heard to determine whether they were guilty of cold-blooded murder or an insane act committed by a mentally ill person. Their behavior certainly made people wonder about their mental state. Each time they entered the courtroom, the Rudas would flash a devil's horn symbol. When they saw the family of Frank Hackard in the courtroom, they taunted them, by flicking their tongues at them and grinning. Daniel bit himself in his jail cell, drawing blood. He asked to receive medical treatment when the bleeding continued too long and scared him. Manuela was the one who was an expert at drawing blood without puncturing a major artery, and without her, Daniel had put himself in jeopardy. If he didn't know before this that his vampire goals were kaput, he sure knew it now. However, he remained defiant, 
telling his lawyers that he had no remorse for the murder and he, quote, wanted to be more famous than Charles Manson. Manuela also exhibited strange behaviors. She requested the lights be turned off in the courtroom as she was, quote, sensitive to daylight. The request was denied, but she was allowed to wear sunglasses. She entered the courtroom with her nails filed into points and an upside-down cross shaved into her head. When questioned about the murder in court, Manuela said that Satan asked for it. We were just obeying his order to send him souls, she said. She referred to the victim as hacky, angering his family. She said Frank Hackert and his family should be, quote, honored that he'd been chosen as a sacrifice for Satan. We wanted to release his soul from the hateful flesh so that he could serve Satan, she testified. It was in his own best interest, she told the court. Daniel also testified, but claimed it was not he who was responsible for the mutilation and murder of Frank Hackert. Quote, if I kill a person with my car and half his bloody head is left on my bumper, it's not the car that goes to jail, Daniel explained. It's the driver who is evil. I have nothing to repent because I did nothing wrong. Daniel Ruda's seriously flawed logic is staggering, somehow equating himself, a human being with free will, to an inanimate object. Either he was trying to appear to be out of his mind, or he actually was. The Rudas made threatening gestures towards witnesses who testified against them. A former friend of Daniel's, Frank Lewa, testified that although they'd once been on friendly terms, Daniel had become paranoid as he and his wife immersed themselves in their belief in vampires. Daniel accused Lewa of turning against him, and they had argued. Daniel's angry and dangerous side emerged at that point, Lewa told the court. Just days before Frank Hackert's murder, Daniel had sent Lewa a threatening letter. Enclosed was a photo of Daniel Ruda hanging upside down, suspended from metal chains in his ceiling. Ruda had been photographed in this position, pointing two guns at the camera. Psychiatrists assessed the couple and reported to the court that both Daniel and Manuela Ruda suffered from severe narcissistic personality disturbance. Three separate psychiatrists were asked to interview and evaluate the couple, and all three concurred with this diagnosis. While the term is slightly different in the U.S., referred to as narcissistic personality disorder, this diagnosis falls into the category of personality disorders, according to the Diagnostic Criteria Manual published by the American Psychiatric Association. It is characterized by grandiose sense of self-importance in fantasy or behavior, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success or power, the belief that one is special and unique and can only be understood by others with special qualities or of high status, and a lack of empathy and inability to identify with the feelings and needs of others. Check, check, and checkity-check on all of the above for both of the Rudas, so I'd say the docs were pretty spot-on in their assessment. Manuela, with her history of auditory hallucinations as a child, seemed the most likely to be suffering from a severe mental disorder. Manuela claimed to have sensed a, quote, presence there, a powerful force, when Frank Hackert was murdered. She also claimed that her knife began to glow as she stabbed the victim, and that the light in the room flickered as Hackert's soul left his body. Both of the Rudas were found guilty of Hackert's murder, and on July 31, 2002, Judge Kirsting Tombroke made the following ruling. This case was not about Satanism, the judge said, but a crime committed by two people with severe disorders. Nothing mystical or cult-like happened here, just simple, base murder. 
The judge split the difference regarding the sentence, ruling that while they were both mentally fit enough to be tried and found guilty, their mental state made it more appropriate for the Rudas to be sent to a secure psychiatric facility to serve out their time. He said they were, quote, humans, not monsters. Daniel, age 26, was sentenced to a 15-year commitment and 23-year-old Manuela to 13 years. He also added the stipulation that the couple was not allowed to see or communicate with one another again. Daniel and Manuela shared one last passionate kiss before being separated forever. Photographers' cameras noisily clicked away as the lovers said a last goodbye. Upon researching this case, I suspected that Daniel, while perhaps dealing with some type of personality disorder, was legally sane and very aware of his own guilt. He exhibited textbook characteristics of narcissism, believing he was superior to others and entitled to live out whatever violent fantasies he was drawn to. He fed these fantasies with a steady diet of hate supplied by his neo-Nazi political activities and violent messaging and imagery through his choice of music, as well as role-playing activities. It's my opinion that he was simply play-acting at being a Satanist and vampire to justify to himself his violent proclivities. However, I am thoroughly convinced that Manuela was experiencing severe mental illness from the time she was a teen, if not earlier. Her auditory hallucinations were real, and her fixation and obsession with certain subjects, vampirism, self-mutilation, and even self-exploitation, were ways she tried to fit in and feel normal. She was already self-destructive when she met Daniel Ruda, who, in my opinion, exploited her mental illness to gain an easy convert to fuel his narcissism and help him carry out his plans for violence. Was there real love between the two? Perhaps. But as I said in the intro to part one of this story, trying to define what love is and how we know when it's real is a question for the ages. Maybe the love they felt was, in reality, just a relief or excitement upon finally feeling understood by another human being. In other words, a validation of oneself. But is this love or narcissism? I'll let you grapple with that question, as I suspect that there is no definitive answer. One clue that Manuela, in fact, was mentally ill is that her commitment to the psychiatric facility seems to have been good for her. She was provided treatment in the form of medication and counseling, as well as stability while serving her time. Before her release in 2015, she divorced Daniel, and while still behind bars, gave an interview where she expressed deep remorse for what she had done. She talked about all the fan mail she and Daniel had received from young people who, quote, looked up to them for what they admired as the Ruta's complete dedication to an alternative lifestyle. At their trial, self-described goths and other vampire wannabes competed for seats in the courtroom to support the Rudas, whom they hailed as role models. Manuela said this was something she didn't want and would forever regret. She called it all crap and said that the praise they had received was just a result of people like her feeling like they didn't fit in anywhere. Quote, I think I am anything but a role model, she said. Seven years into my sentence, I sit here and tell you I am nothing but a criminal. She said that upon her release, she'd like to work for a program that helps steer young people away from the types of lifestyles she had embraced. Then perhaps she might in some small way make amends to society. 
Daniel Ruda, on the other hand, continued to show no remorse for his crime. He wrote a book while still incarcerated titled Error Code 211, The Satan Murder of Witten, What Really Happened? In it, he makes a case for his innocence. It's only available in German if you are interested in picking up a copy. It was reported that Ruda continued to be a threat to society while still locked up. He corresponded with the woman online, and after Manuela divorced him, he allegedly enlisted her to kill Manuela. The plan was for the woman to get a job at the hospital where Manuela was employed. Instead of doing his bidding, she reported the plot to the police. In 2016, Daniel was tried but acquitted of this murder-for-hire plot. At his trial, Ruda's attorney portrayed him as a changed man. Quote, He works in the prison library and his 75-year-old mother visits him regularly, he told the judge. He takes no drugs, drinks no alcohol, and simply wants to rejoin society, find a wife, settle down, and have a family. Frank Hackard's parents strongly objected to his release, but knew it would happen eventually. His mother, Doris, told reporters, quote, I hope they don't let him out. I am not well. I am psychiatrically shattered. I cry a lot. It would be a nightmare for me if they let him out. Hackard's father, Herman, said of Ruda, He will be walking into a bright future, and I will only be walking into the cemetery to visit my son. Daniel Ruda was released after completing his full 15-year sentence in September 2017. He was allowed to change his name to Daniel Wegner. His current whereabouts are unknown. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Not your typical love story, right? I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you all have or find real love, and not the creepy kind. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Ludlow. Special thanks to Lorena Garcia for doing, well, just about everything else. She's my research and production assistant and right-hand girl. Also, special thanks go to Emma Battaglia for her amazing work researching and outlining this case. We love our sponsors, and you will too. To find our links for discount codes and special URLs, you can always check the show notes or go to our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Do you love Once Upon a Crime? Are you a loyal listener? You can show the podcast some love by subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your family, friends, and coworkers. It really helps us grow, and you'll have our undying gratitude. You rock. Thanks for listening and for sharing. There won't be an episode released next Monday, but I'll be back on March 6th with a whole new series and three standalone cases you'll definitely want to check out. Do you want serial killer stories? Well, we got them. Coming up for you next month. Make sure to follow or subscribe to Once Upon a Crime on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, be good to one another.